I feel like between Israel and the young adult camping trip, I've missed a few weeks here. So it's good to be back with you. Um, No one welcomed me as a visitor today, so that's good. Um, You you never know after being away. But it was a a really good camping trip with the young adults as we studied some of the the bit characters of the New Testament. But one of my my highlights, and and sorry to the young adults, one of my highlights was my my children. So um, you can... You can live through that, right? One of the things we do up in the Sierra is we fish, and we like to fish a lot. And I've been training my boys to fish, and, and one of them's here with me, so I have to be careful what I say. <laughs> um, and one of my joys this year is that we got to the lake, and the lake was a little high, a few feet high, so we had to find new spots to fish, and was showing them the sort of some of the last things of how to tie a hook and how to, to do everything, and, and some of it they had known, but... But this time, they were able to do, like, everything at the same time and, and do it all themselves, and they both caught fish. And I don't know, dads, that's pretty cool when you can model something and show something and then watch your kids do it and bring in a fish. Now, the one thing I never showed them is how to get the fish off the line. <laughs> and apparently that's important when you catch fish. And, and so I remember something my uncle taught me or, or told me, and, and that was if you, you grab the fish and you grab it by the gills so you close the gills, and if you put your mouth on its mouth and blow really hard, it will spit out the hook. You've never tried, you've got to try it next time. And so, so I described this to, to Mark and Jeffrey, right? Remember me talking about this? And, and I also tried it with Jimmy. Um, <laughs> and, and I was hoping for the greatest picture ever. <laughs> because I don't know if any of you, you fish, that actually doesn't work. That, that, it, it's just that my uncle did that to my, my cousin, and he did it. It was great. And, and, um, but Mark and Jeffrey looked at me and said, Dad... I don't think that's right. And their next question was really significant. They said, have you ever done that? Huh. And rather than answer the question, you deflect. I said, well, my uncle told me about this. And, and I was trying to, to get them to do this. And they're like, Dad, we have never seen someone else do this. And so they're questioning, for some reason, they're questioning the validity of what I'm saying because they don't want to put their mouth on this fish's mouth and blow into it and have it spit out the hook magically. It's great. <laughs> now, what, think about that story for a minute. You're probably wondering, what does this have to do with starting a new series in the book of Luke? It, it does tie in. There's a couple things about the, the book of Luke that, that really fit that kind of a story. One is this idea of modeling and copying what someone else is doing. And, and so I watched them, and they would tie the hook just like I would, and they would cast like I would, and, and try to hold the pole like I would, because they had seen me do it, right? So there was a, there was a, a, a model and an example to follow. And as we come to the Gospels, one of the questions is always, how do we read the Gospels? And we could read the Gospels as simply history, because they are accurate, absolute, true history. But we want to, when we come to Luke, and when we come to any of the Gospels, 
We want to read it as history that makes a difference in our lives. History that changes life. And so as we read and as we look at the example of Christ, we should always be thinking, how can I follow that example? And, and yeah, he's not, he's not tying a hook, but, he, but how do we follow how he lived and how he walked with God and what kind of attitude he had and how he dealt with people? And we'll talk about a few of those things this morning as we introduce the book. But what's interesting is the second half of that story, the part that, that Mark and Jeffrey wouldn't copy, be, because I, I guess if I rigged it to where it actually works somehow, but no, they wouldn't copy that because they hadn't seen me do it. And so they questioned whether or not that was true. And sometimes we can get to the same place with, with the life of Christ or any biblical story, especially in an era where the, the veracity, the truth of Scripture is questioned and challenged and it's called myths and fables. And we can think that it's not true. And that directly affects whether or not we're willing to follow it, whether or not we're willing to do those things. I, I, I really believe as we come to Luke, and you'll see in the introduction today, that Luke was answering that very question. That Luke was writing to a friend of his, Theophilus, and he's specifically answering the question and addressing, is this true? Can you be certain that Jesus actually lived, that he did the things that, that you've heard that he said he did? Can you be certain that your faith in Jesus is worth living for or worth dying for? And so, yeah, in a humorous way, my boys were asking the question, Dad, have you ever done that? But in a serious way, people in the church might have been asking the question, okay, are all these things we heard about Jesus true? All these writings that are coming in. And so Luke determined to answer that question. And in so doing, he writes a gospel that is well worth studying. And today we start a series that we're going to be in for some time. We'll take some some variations, some interruptions. We'll use some of the topics to talk about different different other passages in Scripture. But Luke, at its heart, is about coming to a certainty about our salvation. Coming to a certainty that Jesus was who He claimed to be, absolutely, and that we can trust Him. And we can follow His instructions, We can follow his example. So today, like I said, we're starting a series in Luke. And as we do at Village, the beginning of every series, as we come to a book of the Bible, we take one week and we just talk some history, some settings, some dates to understand the background of this book. Mark keeps asking, um, when when are you going to preach a normal sermon, Dad? And uh, on the way here this morning, I said, today's not it either. Um, This is an introduction sermon, so you're going to get a lot of different information. But enjoy the information. And one of the reasons we do this is we're trying to model how to study Scripture. And so when you come to any book of the Bible, and and as you start to read through the book in your quiet time and your time with God, you could just open it up and read a verse or two and say, yes, I'm going to get something out of it. But to deepen your study... Is to, to, you, it helps to know a little bit about the purpose of the book, when it was written, why it was written, who wrote it. And most of you have study Bibles. You just go to the first page of every book of the Bible, and that gives you a single-page information of all that pertinent information, all the vitals, I like to call it, about the book. And, and today is going to be giving us some of the vitals of Luke as we begin to study together. So turn with me to Luke chapter 1, verse 1. We're going to read the first four verses. 
And this is Luke's introduction to the gospel. And that's a great place to start as we talk about the vitals. And then in your notes, you can fill in some information if you want about the book and keep that for your records. Um, So that way, as we study, you can refer back to that. But Luke chapter 1, verse 1. If you don't have a Bible today, there's a black one right under the seat somewhere around you. Please grab that and open up. Um, Take that with you if you don't have a Bible. That's our gift to you. So you can also um, enjoy God's Word. But Luke chapter 1, I'm going to read the first four verses. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the Word have delivered them to us, it seemed good to me also having followed all things closely for some time past to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, that you may have certainty concerning the things you have been taught. And in four verses, he introduces his purpose and the grand theme. And one of the things is, as we start to dig into this, we want to think about what are some of the the important details of the book of Luke. And one of the things you notice in those four verses is what is not mentioned. The author. Yeah, Luke's name isn't in there. And so just so you know I'm not making it up, Luke, um, there, there are just a number of things, a number of clues that we use to understand that this is Luke that wrote this. One of the clues is in Acts chapter 1. And turn over to Acts. And this is just sort of fun to, to explore. Acts chapter 1 begins with some of the same wording in, in, in some of the same original Greek. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. And he goes on to talk a little bit more. But what you see in those first two verses is that Acts is the second of a two-part, two-part book. And so Luke-Acts sometimes is referred to as one book, sometimes it's referred to as two books, but they were definitely by the same author and written as a two-volume set. It's episode one and episode two for, for those that like movies and the sequel. But, but interestingly enough, they were each about the length of a, of a normal scroll size of the time. And so Luke sat down, and Luke is a very orderly man, and he, he has two scrolls in front of him. And he's going to talk about the life of Christ and the foundation of the church. And then he's going to talk about the growth of the church and the spread of the church. And so he splits that into two scrolls and he writes Luke and Acts. Now, some of the other way we know that this is Luke, the early church and, and their tradition and their, um, their teaching was that Luke wrote this. From the very beginning, this was the gospel according to Luke, even back to a time where people could have countered that if that wasn't true. One of the other, I think, one of the the compelling ways that we know this is Luke is in Acts, the language at times changes to, and we did this, and we did this. Then all of a sudden it'll change back to, and Paul did this, and Paul did this. And so you can figure it out. If, If I start talking and we did something and Jimmy was the only one with me, then probably Jimmy's who I'm talking about. And in Acts, when he starts to talk about we with he and Paul, we know that if we trace some of the history, that it was Luke that was with him during that time. And so we are very confident that Luke wrote both Luke and Acts, and he wrote them as a pair, illustrating God's work through history of salvation. The plan of salvation, the act of salvation in the cross, and the result of salvation in the church. 
couple of other just fun facts. Luke is the longest of the four Gospels. And in fact, if you take Luke and Acts together, Luke wrote more of the New Testament than any other single author. So he's worth studying. And, and hearing what he has to say, especially when we see his methodology and how he went about his, his work. For those that, that study the language and the original language, Luke has the highest literary quality of any of the Gospels. This was an educated man who um, infused that into his writing and often wrote to the educated. So that gives us the next thing in your notes is what are some of the information about Luke? And I, I like finding out about the author, finding a, sort of a description of them. But Luke was a cultured man, we see from his writing, but he was also a Gentile. In Colossians 4, uh, Paul talks about him. He was a Gentile. He was not one of the disciples. And so he did not walk directly with Jesus. And we see that in his description of his sources that we'll get to. He goes and investigates with primary sources or first first-hand sources, people that were with Christ. What we do know about Luke is that he was often a co-worker with Paul. And so he had accepted Christ, and he's coming along, and he's joining Paul on, on many of his journeys. In 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul says this, and this is right near the end of his ministry, just before he's martyred, and Paul says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful for me for ministry. So when everyone else had left, Luke was still taking care of him. And Luke was there. That tells us something about the man and his, his commitment to God and to God's work. We see from the introduction that Luke was also a reliable historian. He took that seriously. And the language, especially of verse 3, we'll get there, is that of proving his qualifications as a historian. Throughout the book, we're going to see that he was a theologian as well. He ordered things around certain theological thoughts. You may know that he was also a physician. And Paul said, Luke, the beloved physician, greets you in Colossians 4. Another time that he's with Paul and he's writing and and obviously well known to the church for his name to be sending greetings to other churches. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you. And we're going to see that in his writing because he pays particular detail to different things that you can just imagine a physician paying attention to. As I mentioned, he was an excellent writer. His style of writing was um, very sophisticated and cultured. It also looks as if he loved music. and I almost didn't include that in, but that's just a fun fact to see his humanity. Um, In Luke, we have more songs and more praise and more joyful expressions of, of music than we do in any of the other Gospels. And so those are some of the things, um, some of the details about Luke. I don't know, did I say Mark? Luke. Um, some of the things about the date. Uh, again, we tie Luke with Acts. And Acts end with, ends with Paul in prison in Rome, uh, awaiting his, his martyrdom, possibly. And um, so it looks as if Act, or Luke would have to be written before Acts. And so we're talking about 58 to 62 A.D., For those of you that just really love dates, um, that gives just a good handle of when it was written. As we think about the truthfulness of the gospel, some people try to to cast doubt on the gospel by saying, oh, that wasn't written until 200 years later, or that wasn't written until 300 years later, and the church made up some stories so that way it could have a history 
and convince people. There are so many reasons out of the text that that just can't be true. This had to have been written early, 58 to 62 A.D., and that, that speaks to the truthfulness of it. There would have been people still alive that had witnessed these events and could have said, nope, Luke, you got that wrong. Nope, let's fix that. But no, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, became a fixture in the church. Some of the setting, we just finished studying Isaiah. And and Isaiah ends, he was writing about 700 B.C., but he ends writing to a people that have gone into exile and that are about to come back from exile with Ezra and Nehemiah. And so, so the people at that point in time, at the end of our study of Isaiah, are now looking for a Messiah. They're looking for that hope. But then there's 400 years that, that is called the intertestamental period where we don't have any prophets, we don't have any scripture written, that they're just waiting. And so when, when the story of Luke, when Jesus comes on the scene, it's been after 400 years of waiting for a Messiah, for a deliverer. And so the people are anxious for that. Now they think a political deliverer, but Jesus has a whole different plan in mind to deliver them from a kingdom they can't see, a kingdom of darkness. Some of the setting, I have a map up here. If you can put that up, Don. A map of Israel. And um, this actually, if you, if you look at the, um, the highlighted shaded area all around here, this was the realm of Herod the Great at the time Jesus was born. And so this would have been the, the kingdom that Jesus was ministering in. And Jesus was born down in in Bethlehem, but he lived and grew up and started his ministry up here around the Sea of Galilee. So if you look at the back of your Bible at the maps, and I love maps, um, we have the Sea of Galilee, and we see Capernaum here, and, and Nazareth is up here, and this is the area where Jesus started his ministry. And so Luke is going to spend the first third of his book focused almost entirely up here. A couple jaunts down to Jerusalem, and, and they did that every year, and, and when he was 12 down there and as a baby... But um, then the, the second third of the book starts to journey down to Jerusalem and the last third of the book is down in Jerusalem because Luke is, is very strategic in his writing pointing us to the cross and pointing us to Jerusalem. And so that gives you a little bit of the ge- geographical context for understanding and some of you are real familiar with the map of Israel, some may not be. And so we wanted to, to give sort of an idea of where Jesus is ministering. As we go through Luke, though, we also see some purpose and and, and a lot of different purposes. We'll hit themes in just a minute. But I I wanted to bring out four quick things about Luke's purpose just to to tie into these four verses. They don't match one-to-one with the verses. But the first thing to understand, there were a variety of writings about Jesus with different purposes at the time. Did you catch that in verse 1? Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile a narrative of the things that have been accomplished among us, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. And so Luke's in this setting where there's a variety of different sources already about who Jesus is. One of those is probably the Gospel of Mark that's already circulating. It looks as if there's another group of, of writings that sometimes are called Q, and, and those are circulating, and there's oral tradition. And, and we don't understand oral tradition. We don't trust oral tradition, right? If I did telephone here, it would take about five people before the message is so corrupt that, that it's worthless. 
But in, in, in um, Jesus' time, oral tradition was something that was cherished and was understood. And so oral tradition is actually very reliable because they would memorize and pass on what was memorized. And so Luke is writing in this context where there's many different things out there. He's not saying they're wrong. He's not saying the Gospel of Mark is wrong or, or some of the other Gospels. But he has a different purpose. And each of the Gospels has a different purpose. And, and again, sort of by way of introduction, stepping aside into understanding why four Gospels, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, Mark, and Luke are, are, have a lot of similarities, right? You'll find a lot of the same writing style, a lot of the same stories. There's differences in each one. But it looks as if they all relied on some of the same background material. And, and probably Mark first with Matthew and Luke relying on some of that and then doing some research and adding in some other things. And then John had a very different purpose and wrote in a different way. Now, to, to understand this, I want to do a, a really quick exercise, if you guys will bear with me. And we have some people that went to Israel a few weeks ago, right? I think four of you are in the room, which is just really convenient. Uh, Wait, Joe's not in the room. Oh, there you are. There, Joe. Okay. There's four of you in the room. And so I'm going to ask each of you, give me two or three things that you remember about Israel. Please don't take 10 minutes because that's all we have left. Pastor Andrew, a couple places we went, a couple things you remember about Israel. Uh, We went to Capernaum. Okay, we went to Capernaum. And uh, saw lots of archaeological finds. We went on a boat across the lake. We went to a new site on the eastern side, Percy. Yeah. Okay, so a few. Great, right? Joe, tell me a couple things about your trip to Israel. Uh, uh, Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel, uh huh. Um, Our second stop. Dead Sea. Uh huh. Bet Shemesh. Okay, Bet Shemesh. And floating in the Dead Sea. Yeah, okay, great. Heather? A Roman city, Bet Sean. <laughs> or Scythopolis, or yeah. Uh, Scythopolis, sorry. And we, I got to walk along the Sea of Galilee by myself a couple of times. <laughs> you did what? No, just kidding. <laughs> um, and then um, we actually got to go near a lot of the borders for the countries that are surrounding Israel. So I think we were on the border of Lebanon and the border of, oh gosh. I'm Syria. Was it Syria? Okay, I thought we weren't that close to Syria. Apparently oh, we were. a few miles. <laughs> Nobody died. It was great. Um, Andy, a couple, couple of things you remember. I remember how beautiful it was around Caesarea Philippi, but yet how pagan mm. the nation of Dan had become mm-hmm. because of the temples of Zeus and Pan. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just the springs that just flow into the, the Sea of Galilee from that area. Yeah, thank you. Now, I don't know if you noticed, but none of those stories were the same. So obviously, they're all lying. Does that make sense? No, no, we wouldn't jump to that conclusion. Why? They highlighted different things on just a 10-day trip. Remember, Jesus' ministry was three years. Could it be possible that different authors would highlight different things out of three years of ministry? 
Yeah, and, and so, uh, so I, I get to read and hear all these objections to the gospels not being true because they're not saying exactly the same thing. Whereas in real life, none of us would say the exact same thing even if we were truthfully telling about a situation. What did they highlight? And, and I'm not talking specific places. What impacted them? Yeah. And so they highlighted things that impacted them and that were part of what they wanted to communicate. Now, in this case, only a couple of them said the same thing. And if I had asked for more things, they would have said more that were the same. But even in those stories, they would have highlighted different things. And so we have to understand the purpose of the Gospels is to tell the same story, but with four different perspectives that are all true and four different messages that are true. Does that make sense? And so we we see in Matthew we see really a focus on Christ as king. And Matthew's writing to the Jews, and so he uses a lot of Jewish Old Testament and fulfillment of that prophecy. Whereas in Mark, we saw a focus on the servanthood of Christ, that he's the servant Messiah, the perfect servant Messiah. In Luke, we're going to see a focus on the humanity of Christ, that he's the son of man, a perfect man who is God and is carrying out God's plan to save. In John, we see the Son of God. And we see high Christology and just teaching about Jesus as Christ, Jesus as God. And so they each are coming at it from a different goal and a different perspective. And so Luke here, when he starts to say, you know, there's a lot of stories out there, he's not saying they're all wrong. He's saying, I have a different goal. And he's going to share that in these four four verses. The second thing to note about his purpose is Luke used the best and most reliable sources. Luke used the best and most reliable sources. Just for fun, if, um, you know, Jim, if I had asked you to tell me about this trip to Israel, would that have been the best and most reliable source? No, because you weren't able to go, right? And so I would be, you'd be making stuff up. You'd be like, Disneyland was great in Jerusalem. We'd be like, you're lying. <laughs> and so when you're, when you're trying to, to come up with uh, an accurate representation, you need to go to the sources that were actually there. And so we see that in verse 2. Just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word have delivered them to us. And, and he's saying, we talked with people that were actually there and actually care about the word, care about the gospel, And and Luke has a commitment to reliability. He has a commitment to these eyewitnesses. It's interesting because Luke has the most detailed birth account, and and almost all of it's from Mary's perspective. Why do you think that is? And this is conjecture a little bit. He probably went and talked to Mary and, and interviewed her and found out what actually happened. And so that gives us reliability of the message when we see what his sources were. In verse 3, we see his qualifications, and Luke met the careful qualifications of a historian. Um, Almost right down the line, what they would have expected of a historian at the time. But but look at verse 3. It seemed good to me also, having followed all things closely for some time past, to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. The wording there is is all very specific. I followed all things closely. I investigated it carefully. I tracked it down and found out what was true. 
closely. There's a painstaking care in it, serious research. An orderly account, he was determined to write it accurately. That doesn't necessarily mean chronologically, but logically, he groups things together that are a result of really meticulous research and writing. Luke is a gospel of beauty when it comes to writing because he's proving He's proving the certainty of salvation and of the work of Christ. At the end, he says, I'm writing to Theophilus. And Theophilus is probably a real person. We don't know much about Theophilus other than Luke and Acts. But he calls him most excellent Theophilus. So he's probably someone with stature, social position. That was a term you would use for like a Roman governor or a Roman official. Um, We don't know that he was a Roman official, but he was definitely of high stature. But finally, in verse 4, he gives the purpose. Luke's purpose was to give certainty to the truth about Jesus and the salvation he came to provide. And we read, that you may have certainty, that you may know the exact truth, that you can be reassured concerning the things you have been taught. And so you can see that in Luke's methodology, can't you? He's going to go research things, verify every story. He's going to be careful in how he transmits it, writes it down in an orderly fashion. It says, this is how you know. Some, some authors wrote that he's proving that Christianity is true and is capable of confirmation by appeal to what had happened. He's presenting God's actions in history. And he's presenting them in a way that for them would have been beyond refute because they could have gone to these witnesses. And for us, it should be the same. For us, it's not just for his readers to be sure, but for us ultimately to know that Jesus actually walked. He actually walked on this earth. He actually went to these places. The picture on your worship folder, that's the the Mount of Beatitudes where Jesus taught. And our joke is, that very tree? No, no, that wasn't there. Um, but, but that was the scenery. The, 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 the picture in the background, that's the Sea of Galilee. And sometimes we forget that these, these are real stories. This is history of what actually happened. And Jesus actually became man to die on the cross for your sins. That's not a fable. It's not a myth. And Luke is determined to prove that. I want to end just by filling in the blanks of your themes. And and the themes are something, I know know there's a bunch of them there, and this is just a list sort of to to hang the rest of the study on. So as we're studying, you're like, oh, I see that. Or, oh, I see that. So my, my goal today isn't to flesh these all out, but to just introduce them to us. The first theme that you see there is God's great plan of salvation through Jesus Christ is the central focus of all of history. This is his, it has to be first. His grand theme is to say salvation is here. In fact, he uses salvation is through Jesus Christ now or today between them 25 times in his gospel. He's saying now's the time, guys. Jesus has come. He's brought salvation. This is real and it's central. And all along, we see God's sovereignty on display. This is his plan, and nothing's going to stop it. And there's great reassurance there. The second theme that we'll see 
And, and I, th- I think, again, a central theme of the Gospel of Luke is Christ as man. Christ as man. And it, I think it's very easy for us to say Jesus is God. He's the second person in the Trinity, and he is. That's going to be your third point. Um, but sometimes we forget that he was man tempted in all points as we are, the author of Hebrews says. He, he came as a baby. His diapers were changed. He, he endured the frustration of friends and probably little brothers that were frustrated that he was perfect all the time. He lived. He walked these dusty roads. And so as Christ is man, that's important for us to understand because if he wasn't man, if he wasn't tempted in all points as we are, he is not an example to follow. And so part of what we're going to see in Luke is Luke, as the doctor, is going to focus on his humanity and he's focusing on that so we can relate and know how to live for God. Only a man could also be a substitute for us on the cross. An animal makes a lousy substitute for a man. An angel can't substitute for a man. He had to be a man for our salvation. The third theme is Christ as God. And, and Luke is going to tie that with the deity of Jesus. And that's why in the, the, the title, um, Walking in the Footsteps of the Man Who is God, you see those two in that order intentionally because those are part of the themes of Luke. Fourth theme, and I really want us to catch this as a church, is Luke has a focus on individuals and on God's love and grace for them. He has a way, other, uh, the, all the Gospels tell the stories, but Luke tends to zero in the magnifying glass on specific people. You're going to see more names of people in Luke. You're going to see more about their stories. Isn't that a doctor? <laughs> he's, just, he's just interested in people. And, and why I want us to see that as a church is because we need to see God's heart for people. We need to see God's compassion for people. We, we, we've got to walk away from Luke saying compassion isn't an option because that's the example Jesus gave us. And so he's going to focus in, and he's going to focus in on some of the people that nobody else noticed at the time or some of the outcasts at the time. Luke values women more than any other gospel. Because at the time, society didn't. Luke focused in on the children more than anyone else because children were just treated as an afterthought. He focused in on the poor more than anyone else. And so he saw the human condition. He saw human need and says, God loves every one of those people. And they are all important. And he focuses in on Gentiles. And man, this should compel us to get our heads out of our phones. And actually talk to the people we're eating with. Actually care about people. Actually dig into their lives because Jesus did. Number five in your notes, salvation is available for all people, not just the Jews. And we'll bring that out as we study. Six and seven deal with the humanity of of Jesus and Him being an example for us. Six, prayer. Prayer. And Luke uses the word pray or prayer more than any of the other Gospels. He records nine prayers of Jesus, seven of which are not found in any other Gospel. Uh, Again, why is he recording prayers of Jesus? Jesus is one with the Father. This is, he's doing it because Jesus is giving us an example 
of what dependence on God looks like, of the importance of prayer. If it was important to Jesus, perhaps it should be important to us. More than perhaps. And so it, all through Luke, I, I asked the question to myself, how's my effort for prayer? How serious do I take it? How important is it to me? Do I believe that God is actually listening and it actually changes anything? Or do I just give lip service to prayer? Number seven, the work of the Holy Spirit. We see more in Luke, Jesus dependent on the Holy Spirit. And so you see phrases like, He was full of the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit is upon me, or I did this in the power of the Holy Spirit, or the Holy Spirit led me to do this. Jesus gave us a perfect example of how to live in dependence on God through prayer and how to live in dependence on the Holy Spirit for life. Oh, I hope we dig into that and see that. Because the man Christ Jesus showed us how. That's just seven quick themes of Luke. And again, we're not going to flesh them out here. There's verses we could go to on all these and just a lot of fun things. That's what the next year's about. We're going we're gonna to work through this. But join me as we study Luke. As we study the certainty of our salvation. But then as we walk in the footsteps of the man who is God. Now, I, I think of snow in the mountains and I'll end with this. And, and I can remember as a little kid walking through snow and we'd go camping sometimes to waist deep snow. And I'm walking along and, and dad's in front of me. And I have a choice of where to walk, Right? I could either blaze my own trail and and go head deep in snow and get lost forever. Or I could walk in the footsteps of my dad where he's already crushed the snow down. That was a lot easier. Made a lot more sense. That's the imagery that I want for us as we walk in the footsteps of our Savior. Say, this is where he went. This is what he did. This is how he cared for people. That should be us. So I hope you enjoy the next year as we study through Luke, as we take this adventure together. Let's pray. Lord God, challenge us. Convict us to be like you. Lord, give us a a heart of prayer. Lord, help us to be aware and seeking the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Lord. Help us to be compassionate for people and have a heart to love people. Help us to have a, a heart for the gospel to go to all. Lord, may our our, our study through Luke be far more than just academic. May it change us as we encounter the Messiah of Isaiah 53, as we encounter the hope that crushes darkness. Lord, all the things we've been leading up to in Isaiah, as we see now your plan in fruition and the central point of all human history. Lord, help us to be more like you. In Jesus' name.